So I've titled the message today, Blessed, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, Michael Strand is the host of the new $100,000 Pyramid. I don't know if you ever watched that, but it's a, it's a show, a game show, that was originally <clears throat> excuse me, introduced uh, back in the early 70s. And uh, by the way, does anybody know who the original host was? Who, who was it? Dick Clark, yeah. You're either really smart, because you don't look really old, but, so you must be really smart. Yeah, it was, it was, it was Dick Clark, and it's now it's a $100,000 pyramid. It originally was $10,000, so I guess for the price of inflation. But anyway, here, here's how the game works. Uh, guest celebrities team up with uh, a guest contestant, and uh, they give and they receive clues uh, toward one another, and they try to guess a category. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one might say, as a clue, uh, uh, Captain Crunch, oatmeal, types of cereal. No, uh, things you eat for breakfast. There you go. Uh, I was gonna, I was going to say pancakes and waffles. There you go. So you get the hundred thousand dollars. All right. No. So 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 I, I want you to follow along and and let, let's see what the next category is. But we'll we'll kind of take it from uh, a, a different perspective. Uh, suspicion. Uh, politicians. Lawyers, come on, lawyers. Uh, how about how about this? People of whom were suspicious. Uh, I th- actually, I said suspicious, didn't I? I think I blew it. Yeah. No, I, I meant to say politicians, members of the media. Okay. okay. Pe- people who we dislike, right? Uh, people, uh, people who are mistrusted, right? Uh, and you know what? Uh, there was a recent Gallup poll uh, of uh, members of Congress. You know, they, they received the dismal 11% approval rating. You know, and, and it's not hard to figure out why. You know, there's so much corruption. There's so much uh, uh, shady business going on in politics. Uh, I, I was listening the other day. They reminded me that uh, President Ford granted President Nixon uh, a pardon for the crimes that he had committed during what was called Watergate. And in fact, one of the last things that President Nixon said, does anybody know what it is? I'm not a crook. That's what he said. Imagine the President of the United States having to, having to say that he's not a crook, right? But, but we understand that they have a bad reputation. They make promises that they don't always keep, right? Members of the media, uh, the news media, uh, there, there are hardly a lot of them that are fair, and balance. Instead of being the watchdogs of government, many are the lapdogs, you know, of uh, certain particular uh, parties, if you know what I mean. So let's kind of go in, in the opposite direction. This is where I made a mistake. So, so let's just use the words suspicion, disbelief, distrust, doubt. Now, those clues are Many of the thoughts that some people think of when the category is God. And that is, that is such a sad thing because of, of anyone in the universe, God is to be trusted, he's to be thought of as the loving uh, creator that he is. But God has a bad reputation. There are a lot of people's, people who do not trust God or who are suspicious of God's motives. And, and some of the reasons may be, may be obvious, people... People who've been hurt, 
people who have been disappointed, people who feel like God doesn't answer prayer, people, people who have suffered the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of their home. Disappointments happen. And, and a lot of people become disillusioned and, and disappointed with the whole thought and concept of God. In the storm message that I preached back in August, I, I shared how Jesus and the disciples were caught in a violent storm. And one of the disciples wakes Jesus up and says, Lord, don't you care that we're about to perish? What a terrible accusation that was. So unfair for, for the disciple to, to say that, but he was moving in, in fear. And, and that's what happens sometimes when people move in fear. They, the, the, the first thoughts that, that occur to them are, are thoughts of distrust and suspicion where God is concerned. And, and that should not be. Unfortunately, that is the inheritance that we received from Adam and Eve when they were expelled from the Garden of Paradise. They, they gave to their descendants this suspicious and distrusting nature. We call the fallen nature. And, and, and as a result of that, you know, God gets this, this, this terrible wrath. By the way, let me just say this about being expelled from the Garden of Paradise. There was an angel that guarded the way to the tree of life and the entrance of the garden so that they could not come back in. Did you know that that was an act of infinite mercy? That God was gracious to the human race? Because had the human race eaten of the tree of life, if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life in that fallen state, they would have been stuck with that fallen nature forever. There would have been no hope of remedy, no hope of salvation. But because God in his infinite plan, planned by the by the foundation of the, of the earth, before the foundation of the earth, that there would be a plan of salvation whereby the human race would come to not only be redeemed, to be bought, to be in a relationship with God, but that they would come to know the infinite love that God has toward men. Uh, that is, that is uh, an indication of God's graciousness. And I, I want to just tr to try to build a little bit this morning of uh, a preponderance of evidence as to why we should trust God, based upon what God has said and based upon what God has done, that we should be, as the scripture says, trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and not leaning to our own understanding. <clears throat> One of the reasons why uh, people are mistrusting of God is because they believe the L-I-E. Uh, I'm not talking about the Long Island Expressway. Uh, I am talking about the lie. They believe the lie, and I'll expand upon that in just a few minutes. But in recent weeks, I don't know if you may have noticed this or were interested in it, but there have been three to four documentaries on the killing of John Benet Ramsey, the six-year-old uh, little girl who on Christmas Day 20 years ago was murdered in her own home, and uh, that, has been, that has remained an unsolved uh, murder mystery all of these years. <clears throat> the, uh, she would be 26 years old today. It's amazing, but this, this pretty little girl was murdered in her own home. And uh, the documentaries, even though there's like three or four of them, uh, each of them has a different kind of a, uh, a take on the outcome as to who is, who is most likely suspicious in this, in this case. And uh, I, I don't know who killed John Benet. Uh, I, I would even venture a, a guess as to who killed John Bonet. But what I know is this, that in 1996, the most hated parents 
in the whole America was, was John and, and Patsy Ramsey. They were, they were held in suspicion by the tabloids and, and, by, and by the newscasters and, and, and a whole bunch of other people suspected that they had something to do with the death of their child. I, I don't know if that's, that's so or not, but, but I know this, that, that well, it, it is hard to imagine the burying a six-year-old, you know, your own child. But I would imagine it would be unbearable being innocent and being presumed guilty by, by society. That, that would be unbearable. And the reason why I mention that is to make a comparison. Because you, you, you take God and, and you take that and you multiply that by a billion times that there is such suspicion and distrust when it comes to God. And that, that, that just is not right and it's not fair. God is gracious and God is good to everyone, to this whole entire human race. Listen, for us to be able to comprehend the love of God, we, we need to understand the infinite suffering the Son of God endured for us voluntarily. But here's our problem, and, and there are several. N- n- number one, we are born in this world because of that fallen nature that I mentioned before. We are born into this world spiritually blind. You know, eyes shut cannot understand the things that are of God, for they are spiritually discerned, but we're not spiritual when we're naturally born into this world. That's why a man or a woman must be born again, because then they cannot see the kingdom of God. See, now, now, now here's the thing. When you're spiritually blind, it's not hard to see. It's impossible to see apart from an act of grace, where God graciously opens the heart and, and, and puts understanding of the love of God there. Remember the, the song Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. And, and that is such a truth that until we come to a place of, of spiritual understanding by the grace of God, and it's only by the grace of God, will we be able to, will we be able to trust the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, now let, me, let me share some things that God has said, and then I'll also share some things that God has done as a preponderance of evidence as to why we should believe and trust that God wants us to be blessed. Number one, Genesis chapter one, the very first page, you start reading the Bible and you'll discover God's intention, God's plan, God's desire is to bless the human race. You know, we make a big deal out of, you know, grandparents and parents make a big deal out of baby's first words. Well, Well, what about God's first words to the human race? Genesis 1, 28, after God having made them male and female and having created them in his image, this is, this is what God, this, these are God's first words. Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and increase in number or multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This is a commission to be blessed, to be, to be prosperous underneath the canopy of God's favor, God's desire, his heart from the very beginning. And, and I want to show you all the way through to Revelation is that we as a people, as a race of people might be blessed in God. Now, here's the second reason why it's a problem for man. And what is compounding this problem is that there is a deceiver in the world who has deceived, the Bible says, the entire human race. And it's like a virus. It's like, a, it's like you, you talk about a zombie apocalypse. It is, it is something that's infected every single human being. And it is a deception of lies 
that God cannot be trusted, that God cannot be, cannot be, he's, he's up to something, and he's up to something that's no good. But I want you to know that God has a remedy for this. And the remedy is, is the doctor's prescription to heal our brokenness and to open our blind eyes by what God has said and by what God has done. So we're going to look at another verse this morning of what God has said. And it really builds upon that verse there in Genesis 1.28 because it's so similar. And now hundreds of year, years later, it was necessary for God to reiterate his blessing upon the human race. And look at what he says in Jeremiah 29.11, one of my favorite verses. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and the future. That, that is so filled with encouragement. That God's desire, his, his design, his, his plan is to bless, not curse. It's to bless, not destroy. Another version says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's thoughts toward us are, and the word peace there, shalom, is wholeness, to be well in every area of our life. Now, the reason why... This is absolutely important is because you cannot, and because trust is a matter of life and death, you cannot trust someone whom you're suspicious of or whom you distrust. And so when scripture tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, it's a matter of life and death for us. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. Here's a statement up on the screen. And here's the reason why trust is so important, because sometimes God's plans don't look like they're in our best interest. Anybody ever been there and discovered that God's plans were better than what you imagined? Sometimes God's plans don't look like they're in our best interest. Let me give you an example briefly. Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph, he's the favorite son of Jacob, and he's, and he's, he's blessed. J Jacob blesses him with a coat of many colors or, or a coat of, of distinction, and because of that, his brothers are jealous. And they try to get rid of him. At first, they want to kill him. And then, and then they decide, well, let's, let's, let's sell him as a slave. And he goes off into, into Egypt. But God was with Joseph. And Joseph prospers in the house of Potiphar. He's the captain of the, of the, of the Egyptian army. But, but Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him. And he refuses. And he runs out of the house. And, and he's falsely accused of rape. And he's sent to prison. But God was with Joseph when Joseph was in prison. And it seemingly, it seems like, it seems like he's been forgotten. He's, he's now probably around 30, 32 years of age. He's in prison there, but God is with Joseph and he goes from, from one day being a prisoner to being the prime minister of Egypt, to becoming the savior, not only of his family, but the savior of the then known world because of a famine. And God did that. Because God works all things together for our good and for his glory. You see, that's not just the story of Joseph's life. That's the story of Jesus' life. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, and it, it didn't look like this was in his best interest. But God raised him up and made him to sit in heavenly places and made him to be the ruler and Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Listen, that's also our story that God sees the plans that he has toward us. And there are times in our lives when it doesn't look like it's working out. But let me tell you, 
Trust in God, and he will bring it to pass. Amen? Here's, here, here, here's the reason why this message is so important. Because when life gets hard, and it will, because inevitably, inevitably in everyone's life, there, there, there is something that we have to deal with. But when we deal with that, we don't deal with that with suspicion, that, that we refuse to entertain accusations against our God, that we refuse to, to think of God in a distrustful way. We, in spite of what we see, in spite of what we hear, in spite of what we feel, we trust in the Lord. I like what Oswald Chambers said concerning this subject. Listen to what he said. He said, we are apt to think that everything that happens to us is to be turned into useful teaching. But we will find that the places God brings us into are not meant to teach us something, but to make us something. What's God after? God is remaking us. God is recreating us. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. And the work that God has begun in each and every one who's a follower of Jesus, he will complete that work in this final day. That's why we're blessed. Now, let me, let me build again upon, upon Genesis 1 and also upon uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 with a New Testament verse. Again, this is the heart of God for us. John the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in his third letter, his third epistle, second verse, he says, I pray above all things, meaning priority, above everything else, that you would prosper and that you would be in health even as your soul prospers. There's no reason to be suspicious of God's plans for you. There's no reason to distrust God in any single way because he's expressed his desire is that we would prosper, be in health. Now, it's in proportion to our soul prospering. But let me, let me also just share a word of caution with you. Do, do not hear me say that God wants you to have the biggest house in the neighborhood. Do not hear me say that God wants you to have the most expensive car. Or, or that he wants you to have a jet plane so that you can fly wherever you, you know, want to go in the world. That is not the measure of biblical prosperity. Jesus spoke about riches, and he spoke about true riches. And the true riches that Jesus Christ came and died for, he became poor so that we might become rich in faith, in love, and in hope. You see, here's the thing. Character triumphs over wealth. And if, and if we are, and I want to tell you, God delights in the prosperity of his servants, but, but what God delights in more than anything else is, is the recreation of a soul that becomes conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is after. 36-year-old Sammy Luciano, nice Irish boy from the Bronx. No, I, think he's, I don't think he's Irish. But uh, he's 36 years old. Been a, he's, been, he's been arrested 34 times. That's almost one arrest for every year of his life. 34 times. The last time he was arrested, he was driving a stolen car at 110 miles an hour. He has a long rap sheet. Robbery. Uh, assault with a deadly weapon. Uh, he caused the, the death uh, an injury of uh, a group of people because he had plowed into them with his car being drunk, had drug possession. Uh, he assaulted a police officer, a, a resisting arrest. I mean, the list goes on and on. 
What, what do you do with a career criminal like this? What, what, what do you do with a guy who, you know, has done all this, this stuff, right? Do, do you lock him up? Do you throw away the key? Now, before you answer that, I want you to think about the number of times you've broken God's moral laws. See, as sinners, we, we are repeat offenders. But with God, there's, there's forgiveness. But with God, there's not only forgiveness. There's something, there's something as greater than that. There's transformation. That if any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. God wants to, to work on that character because character triumphs over every other issue in this life. Think about that. What would you do with a career criminal? Well, there were two career criminals who were crucified along with Jesus on that infamous day. And one of the felons continued to curse God and curse Jesus with his last breath. But to the other, who in the beginning was just like the other, and he was cursing God and cursing Jesus, but then something began to happen. Something began to change. The, 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 blind, the blindness began to lift and, and the heart began to be attended to by the Holy Spirit. It had to be because, because he began to own his punishment. He said, he said, we are deserving of this, but this man has done nothing wrong. When Jesus was at his weakest, when Jesus was, cru- was being crucified, when he looked anything like a king, he didn't look anything like a king, but his heart was open. And he began to see spiritually revelation that, that, that changed his, his life. He began to repent in that, in that he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, and he called him Lord. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledged that here, here was a king who was being crucified and that this king had a kingdom. And this felon got something that he didn't deserve. This felon got got something way beyond what he could have even imagined. In that moment, Jesus said to him, today, today, right now, today, you will be with me in paradise. Not only did he obtain mercy and forgiveness, but he got something even greater than that. He got intimate relationship with Jesus. You'll be with me in paradise. What an amazing God we have who can open the heart and open the eyes of the blind because of this thing called grace. Because where sin does abound, the grace of God is greater than sin. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so happy that you're here. And let me just speak to you for a moment. I say, I think think you're here because God's drawing you. I think you're not here by by chance or by coincidence that, that God is wanting to make a connection with you today, that you would trust in his son as savior. Now, maybe, maybe you, you were like me. As a kid, I, I had no problem believing in God. I prayed when I was a child. I, I believed in God. Listen, the universe doesn't make sense without a divine design and a creator. Remember how easy it was then maybe when you were a child. All I'm asking you to do this morning is to open your heart and your mind to the true nature of God, that God can be trusted, that he is wanting to bless you. Listen, the cross removes every suspicion 
about the goodness of God. The cross obliterates every lie of distrust and, and mistrust concerning God's heart towards sinners. The lies of hell cannot, cannot sustain the, the Savior's love and the truth that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, imagine with me for a minute. We recently had the memories of 9-11 come back all over again just, just last month. And uh, I remember that, that, that morning so, so very vividly. We were here in the church. I, I was with about six or seven or maybe ten other pastors, and we were praying. It was our Tuesday to pray that morning here for, for Long Island. But, but, but I would just imagine for a minute if one of the first responders rushed into one of the towers and there he found trapped in a stairwell a group of people, of, of souls, that, that this, this first responder said, look, if you, if you will follow me, I will lead you out into safety. Could, could you imagine if you were that person that, that you would say you would not trust that first responder? Of course you would. Would you, would you say, no, no, I don't need your help. I'll, I'll do this myself. Of course not. Now, one of the things that we know about that day, and, and, and even though Jesus didn't, didn't run into a burning building, he did run into a world on fire. A world that is waiting the just judgment of God to come upon it. Because God is just. But just as there was a window of, of opportunity, a window of time to escape the towers, and, and there were many that did escape. I know some who did escape that day. But no one, no one assumed, no one, no one could have presumed to, to have understood what was going to happen in a very short period of time as, as that window of time closed. You know, one of the saddest things that day, I remember in the afternoon, there were doctors and nurses that had set up triage emergency stations all around lower Manhattan and they waited and they waited and they waited. And there were, there were, there were none to care for because that window had closed. The reason why there's such urgency in, in, in declaring the gospel is because I don't know when the window is going to close, but I know that there's a day coming when the window of opportunity will, will no longer be available. Okay, I want to build on this, this, this preponderance of evidence with one more scripture. And I want us just to look at Acts chapter 3 this morning. This is, this is some events that took place about seven or eight weeks after Jesus had died and, and ascended up into heaven. By the way, you know what the last thing that Jesus did? While he ascended into heaven, he blessed his disciples to show you that his heart is to bless us. Now, now what happened was, was J, uh, John and uh, the apostle Peter, both apostles, they, they're walking into the temple area and they've got to pass through this, this gate. And there's a man there who's, who's been there his whole life. He's been lame his whole life. They bring him there in the morning, they pick him up at night and his whole Existence and subsistence is, is to simply get somebody to be merciful to him, give him a coin, give him, give him something so he can sustain his life. And that's the way it was back in the day. And, and Peter and John, they're coming, they see him, and, and he's, he's begging for a coin. And, he, and Peter and John say, look, we got something way better than a coin. 
And they say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And pulling them by his arms, they lift him up. And immediately his legs are made strong. And legs that never stood before are now standing. And, and he, began, he begins to walk for the first time. And he begins to leap in excitement. And, and, and literally, the scripture says that he is praising God by, by, by running and leaping. And there's a crowd now by the hundreds and hundreds that gather around because everybody knew this guy. They, they, he, he had been a fixture there for years. And they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. So in Acts chapter 12, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse 12, we pick up. And Peter says this, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? It ain't us. Well, let me tell you what it is. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one, two titles of the Messiah. And you asked for a felon, a murderer, to be released. What's Peter doing? Uh, th- this isn't a make you feel good message. This is, this, this is convincing them beyond the shadow of a doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt that they were guilty of having rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But you know, that's the first thing that has to happen to us, that we come to the realization that, that I've sinned against God, that, that I'm in trouble, and that I need to change my, my attitude. I need to change my direction. I need to make a U-turn. And, and, and going from God, I need to go to God. And this is what Peter is after. He says in verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. It is by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Like I said, this guy's a fixture there. He's been lame all his life. A notable miracle cannot be argued about here. Verse 16b says, It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to you as you can all see. Faced with that reality, faced with that miracle, that, 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 that this is not manipulation. That, that, that Listen, you can now trust the words because of the actions of, of these two men. And Peter continues talking about, about how this was according to the prophets. This was not a, a perchance experience. Uh, this was according to the prophets that Jesus was crucified by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. And I want you to notice how he sums it up because through this one man, through the seed of Abraham, God's intent was, listen, God's intent from Genesis to Revelation was that all the families of the earth would be what? Blessed. And this is how he sums it up in verse 26. To you first, to the Jew first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to curse you, sent him to destroy you, sent him to condemn you. No, no, no. Sent him to bless you. God wants you to be blessed, even though you acted as the enemies of God. For it was while we were yet enemies that Christ died for us. God sent Jesus to bless. You know, back in the 1980s, uh, again, before some of you were even alive, uh, before Twitter, 
uh, before uh, Instagram uh, and whatever else uh, they're using these days to communicate, uh, there was the bumper sticker. The dreaded bumper sticker. I'm so glad we're out of that stage. Uh, there were some bumper stickers I really hated. And, and one of them that I just absolutely just drove me crazy was, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Now, if you had one of those bumper stickers, I apologize. But I just could not stand that. Because to me, just forgiven, you, you, there's no way to justify the word just before forgiven. It's to cheapen forgiveness based upon the enormous price that it cost the Son of God, to, to purchase us who we've been bought with a price. Just forgiven doesn't make sense. No, we, 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 are, we are gloriously forgiven. I want you to think about this. That, that the forgiveness that we have is probably one of the greatest blessings that we have. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, but maybe sometimes we kind of neglect that or take that for granted. But there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Think about that. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like Noah and his family were safe in the ark. So those of us who are in Christ Jesus are safe from judgment. We're safe from condemnation. Not now, not ever will there be condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's something to shout about. That we receive final and complete or perfect forgiveness. That God will remember our sins no more. That he's cast them into a sea of forgetfulness, if you will, or the depths of the sea. And he's posted a sign saying, no fishing. That's how God has treated our sins. He's taken the handwriting of our wrongs and he's nailed them to the cross. My sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. See, the Israelite, they, they had an understanding of God forgiving sins, but, but it was on the basis of a sacrifice. But the sacrifice was never sufficient, and the sacrifice was to be repeated over and over and over. And every year, you needed an atonement for the sins of the people. But Jesus Christ, by the one perfect sacrifice of himself, has forever sanctified or set apart those that have come unto God. That, beloved, is what blessedness looks like. Under the new covenant, it is final and complete forgiveness. But God doesn't only forgive us. God also transforms us. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And he writes his word in our soul, our spirit, so that what he requires of us to do in terms of obedience, he provides for us in terms of the indwelling Holy Spirit who enables us, who enables us to say no to unrighteousness and to say yes to righteousness. Whatever blessing we need, God's provided. He's not stingy. God does not withhold any good thing from his children. I want you to know that. I want you to believe that. The cross, I say it again, removes every suspicion about the goodness of God. It obliterates the lies of hell. You know, let me, let me say this. No illustration is perfect. You know, every illustration that tries to give us a greater understanding has some flaws. But, but, but let, let, me, let me try this one. 27-year-old uh, George Pickering Jr. worked alongside of his dad for a number of years. And, and his dad was 
George Sr., right? So, so, so George Jr. has a massive stroke and is rushed to the hospital. For agonizing hours, George Sr. didn't know what the outcome of his son's condition would be. When, when, when his life was then turned upside down because the doctors came out and they said, we're sorry to tell you that your son is now in a vegetative state. He is, he's technically brain dead. And because George Jr. was an organ donor, we, we have had to notify a, a local organ donation center that we have a brain dead patient in, in one of our beds. And, and, and he just said, there's, there's, no way, there's no way my son is, is, is brain dead. There's no way my son is dead. He just, he just knew it intuitively that his son was alive. And they had plans to, to, to disconnect him from the life support system. And he said, no, 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 he, he needs more time. He'll be okay. And they said, no, you know, we're, we're, we're sorry. We, and they just seemed to be rushing to, to harvest his organs. And, and, and he just, he pulls out a gun. And, and, and everybody leaves the room, right? And he's standing guard over his son's body for a number of hours. Of course, they called the police. Uh, he called uh, SWAT. In the first service, I called them squats. <laughs> My wife says, they're not squat. I said, well, maybe they were squatting down like that. Yeah. But, but, but they're, they're negotiating with him for hours now. I mean, in their mind... He's not a father who's been backed up against the wall. He's a crazy guy with a gun in a hospital. And this can't go on. And, 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 and I tell you what, then, then that's when the most amazing thing happened. George Jr. began to squeeze his dad's hand. And within a few minutes, he, he began to blink. And at that point, George Sr. knew, my, my son's going to be all right. And he gave up a gun, his gun. And they came and they, they arrested George Sr., they put him in handcuffs, and they took him away, arrested. He stood trial for aggravated assault, and he was found guilty, and he was sentenced to prison. And you know what his attitude is? That's a small price to pay for the life of my son. Can I, can I, can I tell you that, that God looked at the price of what he was willing to pay for the salvation of the human race. And God entered into this covenant, this new covenant. You see, the, the blood of Jesus Christ is the script that God wrote in the blood of his son that redeems us, that saves us. This is what being blessed looks like. And my hope this morning, in, in speaking probably to the majority of you who are followers of Christ, is that you would never lose the wonder of this. You see, we, we go through life sometimes and sometimes we look at what we don't have rather than look at what we do have. And what we have is we've been made infinitely wealthy beyond imagination. We've been made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Do you realize what eternity will look like? Yeah, this, this is just a, a moment in time right now in this life. But there is a destiny, a plan, a future that God has in store to those who love him that's beyond our imagination. This is what blessed looks like. Completely, forever forgiven in union with the one who loves us unconditionally. Completely and forever forgiven. 
I don't remember if this is a poem or if this was a song or a hymn. I, I don't know. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sin is plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Revelation 1.5 says, Unto him who loved us and washed us in his own blood. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants us to be blessed. The evidence is overwhelming. God can be trusted. God can be thought of in terms of wanting you to be blessed, to leave this place understanding that his plans for you are plans of good, plans of peace, not of evil. God did the unimaginable. And I just wonder this morning, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I invite you to, to, to based upon the evidence that I showed you this morning, based upon what God has said, and based upon what God has done, that you can trust Jesus as Savior. And the evidence, like in the evidence sets that are available, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a man that came back from the dead. There is a man who is now seated at the right hand of God. He's, he's God, but he's also joined to our humanity, which shows you just how much God wants us to be blessed. Let's pray. And if, you, if you'd like to trust in Jesus, you do it something like this. Jesus, you say this in your own words now, along with me. Just, Jesus, come in my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I believe that you want my life to be blessed. I, 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 I receive that blessing today. So Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would move in and among us today, that you would encourage the hearts of your people, that we would never lose the wonder of the gospel, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, that your intention from Genesis to Revelation is that we might be blessed. You know what? I just challenge you today to go home Get a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle and write down the blessings that you have. And you compare that to what you don't have. And I'm telling you, you are blessed. You're blessed in God. Amen.